All right. Well, it is a privilege to be back with you. I'm glad that uh, some of you were able to stay and continue our study. Um, I will remind you that these uh, sermons on the book of Luke um, appear on my website. Um, I am a couple uh, sermons behind in posting them, but uh, they do get posted, and so if you uh, want to be able to catch up or if you want to encourage someone that wasn't able to stay for the second service to be able to hear this, um, that would be uh, a great blessing to me to know that. And you can find those on my website at speakingforhim.com. And also if you have an iPhone or an iPad or any Apple device, you can subscribe to my feed on iTunes. Just look for Speaking For Him, and then you will uh, get an update whenever I post a podcast every Friday or post a sermon, which usually takes place on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I try to keep a... It might not be consistent week to week, but I try to keep consistent days where if I have new content of one variety or another, that that's when they're up there. Um, and... Speaking of that, I try to release original blog posts on Mondays. So just some things for you to be aware of, um, to avail yourself of. And so now we started in on this third point uh, about Jesus showing his power over evil. And he, he uh, casts out this demon as we talked about, and then they say to him, uh, you are, or they say of him, that he casts out demons by the prince, uh, by the Elzebub, the chief of the devils. And I kind of wonder if this might be a situation, they don't say this, but I kind of wonder if perhaps the Pharisees thought in their own self-righteous that they could relieve this man of his burden. And when they couldn't, when they did not have the ability to do that, uh, and they watched him do it successfully, um, they might have been jealous. We know, of, uh, in fact, that they were jealous. I've said this before from the pulpit, and I do believe it, that I believe that many of the Pharisees, or chief priests, gave at least intellectual assent to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because, and let's just, let's just do this as we open up. So I think this is important to see so we can see a little bit of, of what, who these people or who this person is or who these people are that Jesus was dealing with. Um, and I believe, uh, uh, where are we? Um, okay. Uh, this is the, the guards, the temple guards, um, after uh, Jesus rises from the dead. This is the exchange that they have. In uh, Matthew twenty eight eleven. it says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders, they had taken counsel 
and gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him to secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And thus the saying is commonly reported among the Jews to this day. Now, I, I say this only to say, as we go back to our Luke chapter 11 passage, that if, in fact, the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin gave no credence to the resurrection, there would have been no need for an exchange of money. They probably would have just killed, the, killed these guards or at the very least just poo-pooed their story and there would have been no big deal. But in fact there was and they said, well, we'll give you money, tell this story and we will, we will keep your job safe. Now we don't know if that actually did happen. Everything that I read about Pilate says that he was a tyrant and so there's a good chance they might have perished anyway. But uh, the point being, if they were not at least intellectually thinking that this might have happened, there would have been no need for that exchange. And so I think that perhaps it's the similar, um, this similar attitude that has them saying this about him as he's dealing with these demons. And so as we look at this passage, I think we can look at it from that context. Um, and so, uh, Jesus is just saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Um, and let's start with verse 20. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, I, I've said this before, that when you encounter Jesus, you have two choices. One is that you become even more bitter and more cynical than you were in the first place, and you totally reject him. A lot of these Pharisees were so far gone in the hardness of their heart that there was no way that they were ever going to accept him. They had made a choice that their popularity was more important. And that's another thing, if you think about it this way, there was another passage where they said, he's taking away our authority. He's taking away our popularity and moving the people against us. And they didn't even realize that any authority that they had came from God. What did Jesus say to Pilate when, when he was before Pilate? Pilate said, do you not know that I have power to have you crucified or the power to let you go? And Jesus said this. He said, no power could be given to you except if it was given from above. So Jesus knew that Pilate had been given power from God to execute his own son. Do you ever think about that? But he did it because he loves us. And so, um, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he gives us this parable, or this analogy. It's not really a parable because it doesn't talk about a certain man, but he says... When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in place. But when, a, but when a stronger than he shall come and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusteth, and divided his spoil. 
He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. This totally obliterates the idea that all roads lead to heaven. Or that uh, we can all believe what we want to believe as long as we're sincere. That's totally obliterated by what Jesus just said there. Because he said, he who is not with me is against me. There's only two ways to be. Either you're for the Son of God or you're against the Son of God. So the question that we all have before us is, are we for or against God's Son? It's a question we all have to ask. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and talketh to him, taketh to him, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than his first. I worked with the homeless population in downtown Grand Rapids. You know, if you were to ask me when I was first getting into the workforce, you know, if there was any place that I would, I would never work, it would probably be downtown Grand Rapids. But God has a sense of humor. And in March 2008, I started as a volunteer at Guiding Light Mission. And I began working with the homeless population. And I saw in that population two different types of people. One type of people was the type that had some bad things happen to them and, and they really needed a hand up. And if they got that hand up, they would go forth and, and be independent contributors to society and they, would, and they would leave Guiding Light and they would come back and volunteer themselves and be thankful for what Guiding Light gave them through Christ. The other segment was people that you knew would always be homeless because they wanted everything handed to them. One of the first things I did as a volunteer was try to connect homeless people with housing. And I cannot tell you how many times this, this scene uh, repeated itself that I would tell people that I would meet with them. I would talk to them about their housing needs. Then I would say, let's do a follow-up appointment next week. And nine and a half times out of ten, they would never show up the following week. And another thing was, when they would meet with me, I would say, well, did you get on the waiting list for dwelling place? Because they said that you have to get on a waiting list. And if you get on the waiting list, then people can cancel and they'll move you up the list if people cancel, but you have to wait on the waiting list. And they're like, well, I thought that if I came to you, then I could, you know, skip the waiting list and just get into housing. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. And I would also see how these people would go into the residential program and they would, uh, their lives would seem to change. You know, they, they would um, be reading the Bible, they would be eating well, they would not be on drugs or alcohol. But some of those people I still run into on the city bus to this day, and sometimes they are under the influence of alcohol. 
I didn't used to be able to identify it, but now I can smell it on people's breaths easily because I got used to it. And so when I read this passage about this man who walks about, or, or the, actually it's talking about kind of the unclean spirit, and he walks about and finds no rest, and then he returns to his house from whence he came. And then the demon goes in and takes his friend and the state of the man is worse than the first. Why is this? Well, if you look in Colossians chapter 3, you see an answer. Because in Colossians chapter 3, there's a whole list of things that we are to put off. But it doesn't stop there because if you put off everything, if you put off all your evil deeds and you don't put anything on in its place, then the evil deeds will come back. And as this passage says, they will bring friends. It will be worse. So what's the answer? The answer is that in that Colossians chapter 3 passage, for everything that you take off, you put something else on. We must get this right, or we will be in a similar state. So let's review briefly before we go on to our next point. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. So the next time somebody says, all roads lead to heaven, Point out this passage. You can also point out John chapter 14 verse 6. that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I know sometimes in our humanity we wish that it was true. Because we, we know some very sincere people who believe the wrong thing, but... It doesn't matter how sincerely I believe that I'm going to get a $1 million check in the mail tomorrow. The odds of my actually getting a $1 million check in the mail are not that great. It's possible, I suppose. But I'm not going to get it just because I believe it. If I do, that's just going to be hilarious to listen back to this. But, and it's kind of a poor analogy for that sake. But... Another example would be if I, I can believe all I want that winter isn't coming. I can keep all my summer clothes out and wear shorts every day. But winter's still going to come. Why? Because the seasons are like clockwork. They in themselves are a testimony to the faithfulness of God. In the song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, we talk about summer and winter and springtime and harvest. All those things are testimonies to God's faithfulness. And so as we deal with this, we must be realistic. We must realize that Jesus has power over evil and that if we want to succeed, we must not only put out the evil from our lives, but we should put on the good. 
And I just want to look, underscoring this point at 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John 4, 4. If somebody gets to it before I do, they may go ahead and read it. I know there have been times in my life when I kind of felt that way. I felt like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I can handle it. I can live this Christian life. But then I stumble and I fall as we all do and I'm reminded that only God can do it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that is something that these Pharisees didn't get because they didn't have Jesus in them. So, as we think about dealing with temptation, as we think about putting off and putting on, may we realize that we only do that through the power of God. All right, well... um, in our next section, which is starts with Luke eleven twenty seven, we're going to talk about seeking the truth and checking our motives. And we'll see if we indeed get through the rest of this chapter. Like I said, if we don't, and there's no huge pressure, we'll just come back to it next month. But the first point I want to talk about as we go forward is Jesus talks about keeping the truth. Uh, John 11, or Luke 11, 27 to 32. Let's look at that. Okay. Okay. Now, it came to pass as he spoke these things that a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which, which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. I think the significance here is that God doesn't just want our lip service. We can hear the word of God and we can say, Oh God, that seems like a great thing you just said or a great truth that you just imparted to me. But if I walk away, as James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. If I walk away and it doesn't change my life. And this is, this is a, a big issue that I've been uh, dealing with certain people on, on, on Facebook. You know, I know a lot of people have varying ideas about social media, but I really look at it as a ministry and an opportunity to have discussions with people and encourage people. And I know some people that claim to be Christians, but they don't, but they only quote Jesus when they're like, well, don't you think we should love God by doing such and such? 
And while I often agree with them, I also know that we have to love God by defending the unborn. We have to love God by defending God's definition of marriage. Why? Because they're God's unchanging definitions of the way life is supposed to be. You know, there was just a, a shooting at an Oregon community college on Friday. And we can talk about gun control if we want to. I'm not going to talk about it here. But the ultimate issue is that we have devalued life as a nation, and so we should not be shocked when these things happen. We've raised multiple generations now of people that do not believe that an unborn child is sacred, that do not believe that the elderly are sacred, they think they can write off both groups. So why should we be surprised when someone comes into a school with a gun and starts opening fire? And it's been said that he injured several people that weren't Christians, but people that said that they were, he shot them in the head. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know one thing. The devil hates us. The devil hates us. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is, he's saying, if you do my word, then I will know that you believe me. And continuing... Verse 29, And when the people were gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall be no sign to be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was, for as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth, to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Okay, so the Ninevites were an evil nation, extremely evil, and Jonah ran away from them, because he didn't want to go and share the gospel, or, or the truth of God with them. And then he finally goes, and rather than rejoicing that they are now fellow brothers in God, he says, God, I knew you would do that. I want, basically saying, I wanted you to obliterate them, but I knew that you were merciful, so I knew that you would accept their repentance. And what he's saying to these Pharisees is he's like, these Ninevites could testify against you because they responded. And he said to Tyre and Sidon, if the works that were done here were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Imagine what an indictment that is. Because Sodom and Gomorrah were burned to the ground because they were immoral before God. And then he's saying, as great as Solomon was, there's a greater than Solomon here, and that is Jesus. 
this story underscores the need for the truth. We like to bend the truth today. We like to make it say what we want it to say, but this is what Abraham Lincoln once said about the truth. Once there was a stubborn disputer. Once when a stubborn disputer seemed unconvinced, Lincoln said, well, let's see. How many legs has a cow? Four, of course, came the reply disgustedly. That's right, agreed Lincoln. Now suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have? Why, five, of course, was the confident reply. Now that's where you're wrong, said Lincoln. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Now there's some common sense for you. But if you've experienced anything of what our, where our culture is today, you know that common sense is in short supply. God said, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And yet that is where we live. Alright, and so now Jesus is taking it another step from not just keeping the truth, but proclaiming the truth. Because this is another thing that people say, well, you can have faith in God. You can love God all you want, but keep it private. Jesus never said to keep our faith private. And here's what he says, continuing on, looking at verses 33 to 36. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine, whole, when thine eye is single, thy whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. And here Jesus is saying, take it one step further. Don't just keep the truth, but proclaim the truth. We're to put our light on a candlestick, so to speak, so that everyone can see the light. We're not supposed to keep silent. If you notice anything about the martyrs of the Bible and the martyrs of today, they all have one thing in common, and that's that they refuse to keep their mouths shut. I asked myself the question when I heard about this shooting, would I be able to say I am a, I'm a Christian with a gun to my head? I hope and pray that I would. I often pray that when, that when and if that time comes, that God will give me the grace to be able to do that. I have to admit that the majority of the time, I feel too weak to do so. But I think of that passage that we read from Acts chapter 3 when Peter was preaching after he healed the lame man and it says, when the Holy Ghost came upon him and I believe that that phrase is there because it came upon him in a special way for that time 
so that he would be able to boldly proclaim the truth. And I can only hope that God would do the same for me. If we can look at Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, verses 15 and 16, this again underscores our need to be open and clear about our faith and where we stand. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16. Or, or Philippians 2, 15 and 16, sorry. Somebody has that, they can go ahead and read it. That you may be blameless and harmless sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. All right. This is not the words of a passive, private, secret Christian. This is the words of a man, Paul, who boldly proclaimed the word of God. And he talked to us about holding forth the word of life. I was in a speech club several years ago called Toastmasters. And I actually got kind of a backhanded compliment. I considered it a compliment. They weren't intending to compliment me, but they said, you need to add more variety to your speaking because that always comes back to your faith. And I said, well, my faith is a part of me. It's the most important part of me. It affects everything that I do. That's why I don't like it when, when they say to political candidates, can you separate your faith from your politics? And the answer for me would be no. Because every aspect of my life should be motivated by my love for Christ and my desire to stand on His Word. We're supposed to shine as lights in this crooked and perverse generation not hide and duck for cover in this crooked and perverse generation. It doesn't say duck. It says shine. If you're ducking, I encourage you today to make this your last day of ducking. That you would be shining for him. Back to Luke chapter 11. And this next section, point three on my sheet here, is talking about the need to check our motives. Luke eleven thirty seven. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled, that he had not first washed for dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup 
and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? <clears throat> but rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass judgment, pass over judgment, and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the utmost seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you as the grave, for you are as the graves, which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. And as we think about this, we realize in this 37th verse that this Pharisee is all worried about washed hands, physical cleanliness. But Jesus is saying it doesn't matter how clean you make the outside of the cup. The inner man is full of wickedness. And the only way to clean the inner man is to submit yourself to God and allow Him to do that. It was mentioned earlier that the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day unto day. But if your inward man is full of wickedness, it can't be renewed. There's nothing to renew. God didn't come. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. To take out the heart of stone and put in its place a heart of flesh. Jesus says in verse 44, For you are as graves. Can you imagine being compared to a grave? At the end of your life, most likely someone will wash your body and clean it up and might even put makeup on it so it can be viewed by others to say goodbye. But What's going to matter at that point isn't how clean your corpse is, because it's still a corpse. What's going to matter at that point is if you did business with God. James chapter 4, verse 8. James 4, verse 8 says... Let me make sure I get the right chapter here. James 4, verse 8. It says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. There was a... My dad told me this story about a poster 
I think it was even up in his public school, which kind of shows how things have changed over the years. But he said there was a poster, and it said simply, Do you feel far away from God? Guess who moved? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, because I already forsook my son on the cross once for all, so I never have to forsake you. So if you feel far away from God, that's on you. If we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us and there will be sweet fellowship. There's no way for us as a true believer to lose our salvation, but we can lose the joy of our salvation. Remember David in Psalm 51, after murder and adultery, he said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Then Jesus goes on in our final point for today. Looks like we're going to finish the chapter. Luke eleven forty five to fifty four. Luke eleven forty five to fifty four. Says this. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master. Thus saying, reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and you yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build them sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, you enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hinder. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. They never were able to accuse him of anything. He was wise. He was able to give answers that no one else could give. There was a time when some men were, were sent to arrest Jesus before his time had come. and They came back without him. And the simple response was, why did you come back without him? And they said, because no one ever spoke like this man did. Why is that? Because the very man that was standing before them speaking to the people was the man who spoke the world into existence. The man who said, let there be light. And there was light. The man who said, separate the waters from the earth. And it happened. And most importantly, 
the man who breathed into their lives the breath of life. And they became living souls. He's talking to these lawyers about the law. And he says, You build the sepulchers of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Think about all the prophets that had come before to the children of Israel, and, and they had reason to not believe them because they didn't like what they said. I think of King Ahab, and he would say of Elijah, I think it was, this man never speaks good of me. I'm not going to listen to him. Then he got one guy who was willing to speak good of him, and it happened the opposite way that he said, because he was lying. You can think all the way back to Balaam, who was not a follower of God, and yet God broke through to him and said, I cannot let you curse my people, rather bless them. And the king who Balaam was working with, who was he was supposed to curse them for this king, he said, well, why, why haven't you cursed them? I told you to curse them. I said, I would pay you money. He said, I, can't, I can only speak what God has told me to speak. And this is what a pagan soothsayer said. So, it's just very evident that their regard for the prophets was not that great. And then, he talks about This, that, you know, all the times that they killed the prophets and didn't want to listen to the truth. And then he finishes this in verse 52 by saying, Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourself, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. Think about this. If it wasn't bad enough, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they weren't just rejecting Jesus themselves, but they were urging the people to reject them and to follow the Pharisees instead. They cared more about their popularity than the souls of all mankind. They should have been able to see from the law that Jesus was who he said he was. No doubt they were intimately, at least intellectually, familiar with the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus read to them from the prophet Isaiah one day. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your ears. And what did, what did that get him? It got him dragged out of the city and almost thrown off a cliff except that God allowed him to pass by in their midst because his time had not yet come. You know, this is why I greatly disagree with people that say Christians are not being persecuted and that we just need to focus on God being love and everybody will leave us alone. 
But if that was the case, then my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would not have been nailed to a cross. He wasn't nailed to a cross simply because he said, I love everybody. He was nailed to a cross because he said, you're wrong. You're living the wrong way, and I can show you the right way to live. And they said, no, thank you. They claimed they were under bondage to no man, and yet all throughout their history they've been in bondage to people. They are in bondage to Pharaoh. And at the time that they killed Jesus, they were in bondage to Rome. They had to appeal to Pilate, a Roman governor, to kill Jesus, and yet they said they were in bondage to no one. Why? Because the cross is foolishness to them that perish. And I see it over and over again in my acquaintances. They don't understand the power of the cross. But I can tell you something. When you finally get it, when you understand the power of the cross, there's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more meaningful. There's nothing that matters more than what happened on that cross. Confirmed by what happened in that tomb. Jesus rose from the dead. You say, you're putting all these laws, these expectations on people that I never wanted to put on them. And you're not only keeping yourselves out of my glory, out of my reward, you're keeping others out of that. I cringe whenever I hear a false teacher give a false teaching. Not just because that teacher could very well be headed to hell, but because whoever is following that teacher would be headed there as well. Now it's possible that some of these teachers that are in error could, as my dad said, get to heaven by the skin of their teeth. Perhaps they knew the whole truth, but they didn't preach it correctly. But they will still be held accountable. Every time I get up here to preach, I'm at least a little bit nervous because I want to make sure that what comes out of my mouth are the words that God wants me to speak. And that should be the goal of every person who preaches the word of God. And even if you're not a preacher by profession, you still are a preacher. Remember, Noah was a builder. He built an ark. But we read in 1 Peter that he was also a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just sitting there building a boat. He was telling others that they could come on the boat. They could be saved. They didn't take him up on his offer. And it's quite possible that when the door was shut, some people might have started banging on it and said, let us in. But it was too late because God shut the door. But they had their opportunity. And today, you have your opportunity to embrace God. Forget about the legalism. 
Forget about going to church. Forget about giving your money. I'm not saying those are bad things, okay? But if all you do is go to church every Sunday and all you do is give your 10% or whatever you decided to tithe, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, there's no hope. The hope is found in Jesus Christ. There's a hymn that says, My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall bleed. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Can you say the same? My prayer is that you can. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the richness found therein. We thank you for showing us from Luke chapter 11 some very important lessons about prayer. We thank you for showing us your power over evil, your desire to take the evil out of our lives and put in good things. We thank you that you are not concerned with the legalistic things that we do, to try to please you, but you're concerned with our heart. We know that you want us to do good works, but they need to come out of a heart of gratitude rather than a heart of obligation. We thank you and praise you for your patience to us. We thank you that you remember that we are dust and that you love us anyway. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.